This morning, I get to uh, continue this whole shebang series, the whole shebang to getting into character. And if you're just joining us, what we're doing is we're taking an entire year and we are going through the whole creation story from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And we're, we're looking deep into, the, into seven different portions of the creation story and we're studying all of the different characters. Three weeks ago, Alan began with Genesis 12, talking about the character of Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. You might have heard the song. Uh, That is what Alan talked about, about how Abraham was a man who was defined by his faith. A man who was defined by his faith, whom God had previously had no relationship with. God calls the name of Abraham, says, Abraham, leave your people. Go to where I tell you to go. I will make you the father of many nations. And so Abraham, embracing the promises of God, leaves everything that he knew in faith that God would bring forth all of the promises that he made. And Abraham was given a son, Isaac. And we looked at Isaac last week in Genesis 25 through 27. We looked at Isaac, and Isaac was a man whom very early in his life had an incredible experience. Abraham, his father, took him up to the top of the mountain where God had called them, and he had told Abraham, sacrifice your son Isaac to me. Sacrifice him to me. And in faith, Abraham was willing to do what God had called him. And just before the blade hit Isaac's body, God said, stop, don't harm the boy. I will provide a sacrifice for you, and he did. And in that, we see that Abraham's great faith, God tested him and said, I can trust you. I can trust you. I know that you will follow me no matter what I do because your your son from your wife, Sarah, you were willing to give him up in obedience to me. And then we meet two characters uh, in, in Genesis 27. We meet Esau and Jacob, Isaac's two boys, twins, Jake or Esau comes out, and the way the Bible describes him, he's a Ford F-150, you know, uh, Travis, uh, tra- country music listening, uh, compound bow shooting, kind of a, a backyard country hick type guy. He's a man's man, you know. Jacob, not so much. On his 16th birthday, Jacob didn't ask for a Ford F-150, he asked for a Volkswagen Rabbit, Okay. When it came time for Mariah Carey's glitter movie to come out, he begged his parents to let him sleep outside of Blockbuster because he had to be the first one to get that DVD, right? There's a story about how Esau comes back from hunting wild game, and Jacob, and God bless him, this is the picture that I get. He's wearing an apron that says, kiss the cook with a big hat just serving. Would you like some stew there, good brother? And this is the guy, this is Jacob, Esau, man's man. Jacob, mm, not so much, right? So these are the two brothers. From the very beginning, Jacob has the favor of God. When they come out of the womb, God says, the older will serve the younger. Jacob has the favor of God. But what winds up happening is Isaac loves Esau. Rebekah loves Jacob. They start playing favorites. And because Isaac loved Esau so much, he, disobe- he was willing to disobey God and give the blessing that belonged to Jacob as a result of God's command. Give that blessing to Esau. So what winds up happening, Rachel overhears the conversation that Isaac has with Esau. Says, hey, Jacob, come here. Hey, God is supposed to bless you through the blessing of your father, but he's gonna disobey. So what I want you to do is I want you to put on a goat skin I want you to spray some of that ode to Esau cologne on yourself. And I want you to cook this, I want you to take this this stew and I want you to go feed it to your father. So he thinks that you're Esau and so he will bless you. So rather 
than confronting the father with this sin, she deceives her husband. She deceives a blind old man into blessing Jacob rather than Esau. So now everybody has kind of started to sin. The New Testament describes Esau as a godless man. Isaac disobeys God by wanting to bless Esau instead of Jacob. Rachel, uh, Rebecca deceives her husband rather than confronting the family sin, deceives him and tricks him, and Jacob just goes along with it. He was, he was, a, uh, he was sinning by omission. And so we've got this really wrecked family life. And what winds up happening is Esau gets so angry and so frustrated after he finds out that Jacob received the blessing. He goes and he starts weeping to his father. He says, have you no blessing for me? And Isaac says, I have nothing else to give you. And he winds up telling him, basically saying the exact opposite to, to Esau, basically not cursing him, but it would be the equivalent of a, of a curse saying, you, you, you will not have what your brother has. You will not be blessed like your brother is blessed. And so Esau gets really, really frustrated, really, really angry, and that's where we pick up in Genesis 27, 41. If you want to open up your Bibles to that. Genesis 27, 41. And we pick up with, um, <clears throat> with Esau finding out what happened. It starts off, it says, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning my, for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. When Rebekah, the eavesdropping wife, when Rebekah was told what her older son Esau had said, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, your brother Esau is consoling himself with the thought of killing you. So, so he's really, really mad, but the only thing that turns the frown upside down is the fact that I can take the blade to him once my dad's dead. Pretty sick. Pretty sick and twisted. She says, now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran. If you read Genesis up to this point, you will have met Laban. Really crooked guy, Really, really, he's, he's, he's a deceiver just like Jacob is. Bad guy, she's saying, go ahead and go to Laban. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. When your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I will send word for you to come back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? So here you've got this toxic situation. You have the wife being a part of deceiving her husband. You have the husband willing to disobey his God in order to do what he wants. He has this taste for wild game, and so he'll do anything to get it. You have Jacob, who at this point is a 70-year-old man. He's, he's still living with mom and dad, never worked a day in his life, has no wife, no kids, never really, never really amounted to anything. You've got this dysfunctional family, and rather than putting it all on the table and, and repenting and bringing the family together, rather than Isaac standing up and saying, look, this is a bad situation. Let's make it right with God. She says, let's sweep it under the rug, run away for a little while, and we'll never have to think about this again. When his anger subsides, we'll deal with it. Well, you come back, we won't ever have to deal with this. This struck me. This hit me. Because I'm looking at this and just sin within a family. Not dealing with with past sins, not confronting the sins and asking for repent, repenting and asking for forgiveness. And the way this struck me personally, as I'm reading, um, my family, we have a, a cherished videotape. It's a tape of 1987. I was five years old. I have two younger brothers in the tape. It's just a cherished family videotape. And it, it's one of those tapes that most, you know, most family videotapes are, the uncle sets it on the table and then, you know, grandma sits with her back to it and it's about two hours of just grandma's back and once she slipped over and then she got back up and that's about all the action you see. 
Well, this one is actually pretty entertaining. Not just my immediate family, but my whole extended family love this tape. We sent it back and forth from my family in Kentucky. And so I said, I want to document this tape. After being played so many times, the film was getting degraded, so I said, I'm going to put this on DVD. So I put it on DVD. I started watching other tapes, more and more tapes, and I wound up putting our whole collection on DVD for my family for Christmas. But what wound up happening is I ran across some tapes. Some tapes where I was in my teenage years, and if you had teenager, you are a teenager, or you remember being a teenager, it's kind of a high stress, don't know what you're feeling, don't know what they're thinking type age where anything can happen. Well, that's the way I was. Um, wasn't walking with the Lord, and I, and I watched some of these tapes, and I saw how I treated my brother. I called him an idiot to his face. I said hurtful things that I could never take back. And I'm watching these tapes and I'm ashamed of what I did. I just start tearing up. And my brother calls me last week. And he's asking, for, he's asking for a favor and we do favors for each other all the time. So we have a good relationship now. But he calls me asking for something and after we dealt with that business, I just got convicted. I said, hey John, hey man, I just, I was watching some tapes, man. And I saw the way that I treated you and I'm sorry. I just want to ask your forgiveness. I'm sorry for the things that I said to you. I'm sorry for the things that I did. I know I can never take it back. And my brother, who has been through so much with the Lord, the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, he responded, he said, I, I don't even consider that stuff as ever happening. You're, you're forgiven. And so I would ask you this morning, where do you need to bring restoration in your life? With a father, a father to a son. Have you said things to your son? that you regret saying, a brother to a brother, was there something done or something said that caused disharmony to where you haven't spoken in years? Where is God calling you to bring restoration to your family, sister against sister? It's not supposed to be that way. And what happens is Jacob runs away, and rather than Uncle Esau and Uncle Jacob sharing their lives together with their families, they're separated for the next 20 years. And so we go down to chapter 28, Verse 10, Jacob's taken off. And God is about to do an incredible work in Jacob's life. He's about to do something amazing. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he had stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth. And with its top reaching to the heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. So God comes to Jacob in a dream. God works through dreams. If you ever have a dream or a thought, and you're like, man, is that God talking to me? Test it against his word. If it lines up with his word, if it's true like his word, then God very well may be coming to you and speaking to you in a dream. And here he does come to Jacob in a dream. And Jacob is from, Jacob would know the story of the Tower of Babel. It's a story of um, a people wanting to aspire to establish themselves as the greatest over everything. And so they build a tower up. They say, we're going to build a tower to reach to the heavens. And what winds up happening is God says, no, I am God. There is none other but me. Destroys the tower, scatters the people, and confuses their language. Makes different languages. That's where we get the phrase, you're babbling. I don't understand you. It was because of the Tower of Babel. So this is the same picture, except instead of in the Tower of Babel where they were trying to ascend to God, this is a picture of Jesus Christ descending to us. Rather than us getting ourselves clean and ascending to the holiness of God, this is a picture of God saying, come as you are because I'm going to make a way for myself to come to you. So it's an incredible picture. God is setting, setting the stage 
for the redemption of Jesus coming into the earth all the way thousands of years before it happens. And so he he sees this picture, and he says in 13, There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. Again, what strikes me about this is God introduces himself to Jacob in a way that Jacob will know who he is. What this tells us is that Abraham took all the stories of God's faithfulness and told Isaac. He said, this is, son, this is how God has been faithful to our family. Remember when I took you up on the mountain and I was going to sacrifice you to God because he called me to? And then he spared you and gave me a lamb to sacrifice in place? This is that same God who showed up and restored whatever it was between me and your mother. This is that same God who showed up and provided for us when the food was scarce. This is that God. And then Isaac told the same stories to Jacob. He says, hey, Jacob, do you remember that story I told you when I was a little kid? Well, when this just happened and how, how your mother and how these work things together and, and now we're prop, whatever, this is that God who did amazing things. So God shows up and says, hey, Jacob, you remember the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac? That's me. All those stories you've heard, they're about me. Men, do you want this to be true of your family? Do you, I, want it to, I want to say the God of my father, Don, and the God of me is the God of my son when I have a son. We're not pregnant or anything. I'm not making that announcement. But when I have a son, I want to say the God of my father is the God of my family and is going to be the God of my son. Men, are you leading your families so that your children will be able to tell stories of God's faithfulness to their children? He says, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you were laying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. And offspring here, it's a word that can be singular or plural, okay? It's like sheep. Sheep, you could say, hey, I have one sheep, I have many sheep. It's singular or plural. And there, there would be the Jewish nation that say, see, we are the blessing to all of the nations. The Jewish nations, Israel is the blessing to all the world. But the reality is that in Galatians, uh, Galatians 3.16, Paul clarifies what this means. He says, the promises that were spoken to Abraham, and by way we can say Jacob, and to his seed, the, scriptures, the scripture does not say, and to seeds, does not say to all of the seed. It says, it says uh, meaning many people, but it says, and to you and your seed, meaning one person, Jesus Christ. And so what he says to Jacob here is, I will bring the Messiah through you. The Messiah will be the blessing to all of the nations, and he's coming from you, Jacob. We've got some work to do, but you are going to be the one with whom this starts to bring redemption into all of nations. He says, and he makes a promise, and I just love this. He says, I am with you, and I will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. Uh, Duh. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. And so what happens here, God shows up. God shows up, and in response, Jacob worships. In our lives, when God shows up, our response is to worship. The reason why we gather here in this place is not because this facility is sacred. It's not because something was done to the foundation that made it special than all other places. The reason why this place has become sacred is because we show up and then God shows up. 
God has been good to us, so we show up in worship, and God comes and shows up to meet us. That's what makes this place sacred. For me, there's a sacred place. I said I was going to tell you a story about when I went to winter camp. Well, 14 years ago when I was in eighth grade, I wasn't walking with the Lord. This was at the same time that I was being so cruel to my brother. I wasn't walking with the Lord. And uh, through a series of events, my father was taking me to a church, and I got invited to go to a winter camp. And I said yes, because at the time, my friends were getting into drugs, alcohol, um, sleeping around with different girls and not treating them with respect. And I wasn't walking with Jesus, but I knew I didn't want that. And so I agreed, wanting so desperately to be accepted. So I went, and I'm here to say that God showed up in a powerful way. He met me where I was at. He met me where I was at with what I was going through, and he spoke to me. And at the end of the camp, the leaders passed out blocks of wood, and they said, we want you to commemorate this. We want you to do what Jacob did and take the stone underneath his head, and we want you to anoint it. We want you to remember this place and remember God's faithfulness. And so they passed out these blocks of wood. There's nothing special about this block of wood. Probably from Home Depot, there were probably another 20 cut out that looked just like it. And they wrote Camp 97 on the front, and they said, what we want you to do is we want you to write down on the back whatever you want to say to God. Whatever you want to say, because we want you to remember this. And so I wrote down this. January 25th, 1997. This week I am committed to giving God my most cherished time. I want to give him my best. I want to turn my life over to him. From this day forward, I am living my life for God the Father and Jesus Christ my Savior. Signed, David M. Shrine. And I don't know why I signed the M. Shrine. Apparently I thought it was a great prayer and I didn't want somebody else getting spiritual credit for it. Just know it was me, God. But either which way, there's nothing special about that block of wood. But God showed up, and all of a sudden, that ordinary block of wood became sacred. And I keep it to remember what God did for me that day. What sacred places do you have? Where has God shown up for you? Do you have things that remind you of when God showed up? A couple, a couple weeks ago, Juno shared that his daughter brought a stone to him with John 3.16 on it. And it means so much to him because it reminds him that he needs to sh be able to share Jesus with people so that a child can understand it. And it reminds him to have the faith of a child. What sacred places do you have? Where does God show up? What do you keep that serve as reminders of God's faithfulness? So Jacob responds in worship after God shows up. In 20, he says, Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I may return safely to my father's house. Then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Jacob prays. And this is the first example that we have in all of Scripture that Jacob owns his spiritual journey. Up until this point, he's been borrowing it from his parents. He hasn't owned it himself. He hasn't made God his God. What I love about this prayer is that he's so honest with it. He's a brand, what we would call a brand new Christian at this point. He sees God show up and his prayer is so honest. What he does is he makes a deal with God. God doesn't work in deals. In Acts, the, Luke writes, God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. God doesn't make deals. He's not gonna use Jacob because Jacob has something that nobody else has. He's gonna use Jacob because Jacob needs the most work done. He's gonna break him down and he's gonna rebuild him into the image of Christ so that from him, 
The 12 tribes of Israel can be established and the, and the redemption story of Jesus can go forward. And so I would say, <clears throat> excuse me. And so I would say, what does you owning your faith look like? Maybe you're still at that point where you haven't quite decided that this is what you want to believe. You're still struggling with what your parents taught you and what your friends said. Maybe you have owned your journey. Remember back. What was that like? Remember when you first believed. What would it look like? Students, what would it look like for you to own your faith journey? To not just believe because your parents bring you or because your parents believe, but to say, this is my God. This is the God that I will serve. What would it look like? You know, God does typically take, all throughout Scripture, the people who need the most work done, breaks them down and rebuilds them. And that's the case with Jacob. That's the case with all of us. He breaks us down, rebuilds us, so that we can reflect Jesus Christ more. And what I would say is Jacob's 70 years old at this point, just having his first conversion. You would say maybe he's a little bit too old to make a difference for the kingdom. But I would say you're never too old to do something great for God. When you come to your retirement... You have three things that you didn't have before. You have time, you have wisdom, and you have an experience. And it's your responsibility to seek out younger people who want, who want to learn from what you have done and accomplished and what you have learned about God and to impart that to them. That's what happened with me. And if you're students, I want to say this. You are never too young to give God everything that you have and to live a life dedicated to him. There is a lie that you will be told in college that you need to figure out truth for yourself, that you need to figure out what is real and what isn't. That's a lie straight from the devil because I'm here to tell you today and for anybody that is still trying to figure out what truth is, the word of God is absolute truth. It does not shift. It does not change. It is not altered. It is true yesterday, today, and forever. And the lie that you have to go discover what truth is comes straight from the enemy. He wants to deceive you and he wants to trick you. Don't let him. Own your faith. Own your faith. So very briefly, because we're running out of time, very briefly I want to say this. The next 20 years God uses to refine Jacob. He takes him away from his family. He takes him away from everything that has been holding him back. It's a very, very bizarre story. What winds up happening, he meets his uncle Laban. Laban's an evil man. He's a trickster just like Jacob. He's actually a better deceiver than Jacob is. Jacob falls in love with Laban's daughter, Rachel. He agrees to work for seven years in exchange to, for the right to marry Rachel. He works for seven years. He goes through the, Laban, uh, they have the wedding, they have the ceremony, they dance together. When the, bedtime, or when the nighttime comes in there to go and consummate the marriage, Laban swaps Rachel with Leah. Rachel is described as beautiful. That's the one that Jacob wanted. Leah is described as having weak eyes. Not an attractive feature for a woman of that day, right? He swaps him out, deceives him, tricks him. Because he loves Rachel so much, he decides to work for another seven years. So 14 years at this point, he works to marry the woman that he loves. Well, what winds up happening is he does marry. Rachel is barren. Leah is not. Leah, the one whom he hated, begins to start having children. Rachel becomes jealous. She basically says, here's my maidservant. Start sleeping with her and have, and have children on behalf of me. So he takes his, her maidservant as a wife. Then Leah becomes barren, the maidservant's having babies. Leah says, hey, take my maidservant as a wife so you can continue to bless me through children. It's like a Jerry Springer episode. This is not the family that you would pick to establish, establish the line of Jesus to come from. 
It's not the family. It's so bizarre. So Jacob is just sleeping left and right with all these women. He has all these different children. Eventually, Rachel gives birth to, um, to two sons for him. She dies having the second son in, in, in labor. God takes this wacky story, all right? Multiple wives. It, and I just have to say this. In Scripture, God doesn't condone multiple lives. He also doesn't condemn it. But if you read the story of Jacob, you will find that one woman is, is enough for a man, right? There's four women in this story, and, and women think of this. If your husband was married to your sister and one of you was loved and the other one wasn't, would that be a happy home? No, okay, yes, we're all in agreement, so we'll move on. But either which way, God takes this wacky Jerry Springer, just ridiculous story, and he redeems it. And out of these four women come the, four, come the 12 tribes of Israel, heads of a power, powerful men, Right? Jacob, who was 70 years old, no wife, no kids, no family, living with his mom and dad, never had a job. What you would call a late bloomer, right? God breaks him down, redeems him. And there's one final story that we want to take a look at. It's in Genesis 32, starting in verse 22. This final story, it's a very bizarre story, but it has such an awesome message. <clears throat> what winds up happening is Jacob is returning home. After 20 years, God has done a great work in his life. He's made him very wealthy. He's made him very prosperous in terms of children. He's a father now. Um, really, really cool story. I encourage you to read the whole thing. Now he's returning home to Esau. They do wind up reconciling, but on the road, this happens. In verse 22, that night Jacob got up and took his wife. So he's loaded up all of his camels and they're heading home. His two maidservants and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. So God gets them all alone. Everyone's gone ahead, Jacob, and he's all by himself. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. So he's by himself, and all of a sudden, a guy just comes out and whacks him on the back of the head, and they start wrestling. Now, men, if you've been in a fight, wrestling is tiring. Oh, my goodness. And can you imagine wrestling from the beginning of night all the way to daybreak? They're going at it. They're fighting. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. So what happens here is it's actually God that comes down and wrestles with Jacob. Jacob's still weak. He's come a long way, but he's got a long way to go. We start off this story with Jacob running for his life from his brother, who he's afraid is going to kill him, to wrestling with God. And different commentators say it's actually Jesus that comes down. I believe that it's Jesus that comes down because Jesus is the face of God. And it says that Jacob saw the face of God and lived. So Jesus comes down and starts wrestling with him, going after him. And you would say, uh, isn't Jacob about 100 years old at this point? Couldn't God kind of just take him? Well, the reality is it's like a father to a son. When a son is young, the father lowers himself to the strength level of his son. They wrestle back and forth, and the father neither defeats nor lets the son defeat him. And that's what happens here. God, being all-caring, comes down, wrestles with Jacob through the night. And what happens is after Jacob stands the test, after he stands up and makes it happen, God says, you know what? I could have crushed you the whole time. And from the rest of his life, he walks with a limp. But he's a man who is limping, having seen God, rather than walking having ran away from him his whole life. 
It's an incredible story of redemption. Of God taking somebody who was not the one that you would pick to lead nations and redeeming him for his purposes. And the reason why I love this story so much is because Jacob is me. Jacob is me. When I started following Jesus, it wasn't one day I was just sinning and loving it. It was one day I realized that there were issues that I had, committed them to God and said, God, I'll let you work on them if you promise that you will. Philippians says that being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on until the day of Christ Jesus. And so God made me a promise that he will use the sin in my life, he will redeem it, and he will use me for great things. And that promise exists for you, that he will take the bad choices that you've made, he will take the broken relationships that you've experienced, and he will bring redemption to them, and he will use you for great things in the lives of your children, in the lives of your coworkers, in the lives of the people who look up to you. He will use you for great things, just as he did Jacob. Jacob's not perfect. Actually, right after this story, God calls him to go to Bethel. I believe it's Bethel. He disobeys and he goes to a place called Succoth. I'm not making that up. Goes to a place called Succoth and then a place called Shechem. He disobeys God. And as a result of that disobedience, his daughter Dinah winds up being um, overtaken by a man and taken advantage of. Great tragedy. And out of that, an entire village is wiped out. Jacob isn't perfect. And he never will be. But at this point right here, he says, then the man said, your name will, uh, <clears throat> what is your name? Jacob, he answered, deceiver, trickster. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men, and you have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. Why do you ask my name? And then it says, then he blessed him right there. And, and this is the picture I get. That Jacob wrestles with him. He's sore, he's tired. Now he's got the limp. And God says, you are no longer a deceiver, a trickster. You are mine. You are mine. Kneel down. So he kneels down. And Jesus puts his hand there and says, you belong to me. The God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac, will be your God. I will redeem everything that you have done. I will prosper your family. You are mine. You belong to me. You will walk with me. I will be your God your people will be my people, your God will, he makes him a promise. And from that day on, Jacob is a changed man. Still makes mistakes. God has still a lot of work to do with him. But he's a changed man. And so I want to ask you, what could you turn over and give to God? What is he calling you to? What issues have you struggled through and God is just longing to bring redemption to? What can you take away from the story of Jacob and invite God to come in and redeem a part of your life that you once counted lost? What does it look like for you? Three things that I want to leave you with. If you want to hear from God, get into his word. In studying Jacob, God gave me such an incredible opportunity to dive into his word and sink my teeth into something like I haven't in a long time. And I identify with the story of Jacob. The second thing is pray. One theme throughout this whole thing where there's sin, there's no prayer. There's no going to God. Pray. Pray for your family. Pray for your children. Men, pray for your wives. Pray. Ask God to reveal himself to you. 
And I guarantee you that he will, maybe subtly, maybe in small places, but he will. And then lastly, fill your thoughts with the things from God. Fill your thoughts and your minds with things of God. For me, actually, I was really struggling and walking in sin in terms of not filling my mind with things of God. I was thinking about politics. I was thinking about my job responsibilities. I was thinking about all the things that I needed to do. But diving into God's word has given me something new to dwell on. And I would just encourage you to do the same. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for the story of Jacob. God, thank you so much for revealing to me and to us that we are not all that different, that you've got a lot of work to do with us. But just like it says in Philippians, you are not done with us. You've got a lot of work to do, but you are not, you are not just going to leave us and forsake us. You'll stay with us through the end, and you will see us to one day reflect your image, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Amen.